going to be continuing today our study of Moses' life, and we're up to the part now where God begins to perform signs and wonders and sends the plagues against Egypt, and I'm going to be going through each one of them kind of on a more individual level. But before I do that, what I wanted to do today was something a little different. Because as I was going through all of the plagues and looking at them, I realized that there were some commonalities between them and kind of these common threads that were weaved through each of the plagues that happened. And as I was looking at these commonalities, I realized that not only could they be found within the plagues of Egypt, but also throughout other parts of scripture as well. And I thought it was really interesting and kind of wanted to share some of them with you. Um, so it's going to be a little bit different today. I'm not going to be reading scripture directly from the Bible today, which I don't think I've ever done in any of my sermons. I always read directly from scripture. Uh, but just because we're talking about the commonalities between all of the plagues, I don't want to have to read the same thing 11 different times, you know, 10 or 11 different times, because that gets really repetitive. Um, so I'm just going to be talking about these commonalities, but I do encourage all of you who are listening to go through and read it in your own time, uh, not only just to double check and make sure I'm not lying to you, but also so God can speak to you through it and maybe you'll find something that I missed. But one of the first things I noticed between all of these different signs and wonders that take place is that each and every one of them are prophesied about in some way before they happen. So usually the way that it takes place is that God tells Moses what he's going to do, and then Moses tells Aaron what to say, because Aaron is acting as Moses' spokesperson, and then Aaron goes to Pharaoh and tells Pharaoh what God is going to do if he doesn't let the Israelites go, and then when Pharaoh doesn't let the Israelites go, then the thing happens, and the plague takes place. But all of the plagues that happen are all prophesied before they happen. So God tells Moses, Moses tells Aaron, and Aaron goes to Pharaoh and says, let the people go, and if you don't, God is going to send this plague. And so I find it really interesting that God provides a warning before every single plague that he sends. And I got to thinking about that and realized that that's true throughout Scripture as well. Um, if we think about the flood of Noah, before that happens, God tells Noah, I'm going to destroy the world, so build an ark. You better get ready for it. Uh, the same thing happens when Elijah goes to the king and prophesies about how a drought is going to come. Again, another instance of God providing the warning before it takes place. And there's even just before you get to Moses in scripture, the person talked about beforehand, Joseph, he prophesies um, and through the interpretation of the king's dream that there's going to be years of plenty harvest, and then years of famine. So in all of those different places where a, a plague or famine or some destructive act of God takes place, before that happens, God sends a prophet to announce that it's going to happen first. And when I realized that that was the pattern that God displayed every time he sent a plague, 
It actually got me thinking about how I've heard discussions about people talking about COVID and that COVID is something that God sent upon the world to because we're all terrible people and we've all forgotten God and he sent COVID to get our attention. And I've heard people discuss that. And I put that in this new light of God always saying that it's going to happen before he sends a plague. And I can't think of any time that somebody predicted this pandemic. And that tells me that there's really only one of two options. Either one, that it didn't come from God, or two, that no one was close enough to God to hear it. That God tried to warn us, but we weren't listening. Really, it has to be one of those two options because God always does that in Scripture. He sends someone to say, this is what's going to happen before it happens. And nobody was saying that, at least nobody that I heard. Maybe that third option is just that people were saying it and I never heard it. But I never did. I never heard it prophesied. And so if I understand from Scripture that God always provides the warning before it happens, then I would have to accept that either it doesn't come from God or that we didn't hear the warning. And regardless of which of those options it is, it's still a good reminder for me to listen for when God does want to send a warning. And would we listen to it? Would, would we hear it? Or would we dismiss it as, oh, I'm just making stuff up. Oh, I, you know, it's just somebody spouting crazy nonsense again. Don't listen to them. If God was going to send a plague, according to his pattern shown in Scripture, he would provide a prophesied warning of it first. And would we hear it? And would we heed that warning? Because sometimes God gives us a warning of what will happen if we don't listen. I think about Nineveh in that case. God would have brought destruction, but they turned from their ways and turned to God. Are we close enough to God? Are we listening closely enough to him to not only hear his warnings, but also to heed the warnings that he gives us? And there's all kinds of warnings in scriptures of things to avoid. Are we listening to those warnings? Because just like in this case, the warnings come before the plague. So that was one commonality that I found throughout all of this. Uh, the second commonality that I want to talk about actually only takes place for the first three of the signs and wonders. So there's the first, which is Aaron's staff turning into a snake, which isn't a plague, but it is a miraculous work that God does. And then there's the water turning into blood, and then the plague of the frogs. And in those three scenarios, those first three works of God uh, that he does through Moses and Aaron, there's something that takes place through all three of them, which is that after it happens, Pharaoh's magicians come along, and they mimic what God did. 
So God does this miraculous work, and then the magicians are like, oh, hey, look, we can do it too. And in that sense, they, they kind of make themselves imitators of God or copiers of God. Even though, that, even though they aren't able to do it miraculously. They clearly would have had to devise some kind of tricks. And I like how the uh, Prince of Egypt movie shows it, where they're like using smokes and mirrors uh, to recreate what God was able to just do. Uh, I don't know for sure that that's how it went, but it has to be something because obviously they weren't God and they weren't able to do miracles. And so they were using tricks to recreate what God was able to do miraculously. And so they obviously were not God, but they were imitations of God. They were copiers of God. And it's important for us to realize that imitations of God are not God. And that may sound pretty straightforward at first. Like, of course, if something's just imitating God, it's not God. But I think sometimes we don't realize how easily we can replace God with an imitation of God in its place. And I think the times we do that the most is by taking the concept of God and wrapping it around our ideas and our preferences to make this God-like figure in our life that really is not God at all. And that happens a lot in Scripture, where people who did know God twisted who God actually was to fit their perceptions instead. Look at Adam and Eve in the garden. And the serpent comes along and he asks Eve, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any of any fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Did God really say that? Does that sound like something God would say? And in that way, he twists Eve's mind. Well, look at King Saul, who God sent him to go destroy those people all the way down to the animals that they had. And on his way back, Saul meets the prophet Samuel on the way. Samuel says, uh, hey, uh, what's that uh, sound of sheep that I hear? Didn't God tell you to wipe out even the animals? And Saul says, yeah, 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 no. But think about this. What if we took these animals, the best animals they had, and gave them as sacrifices to God? I bet God would like that a whole lot more. And because of that incident, God rejected Saul as king. Because Saul had twisted in his mind what God wanted instead of obeying what God had told him to do. Or in Galatians, my Bible study's been going through Galatians, and the biggest problem that Paul is facing in the Galatian church is that he went and preached to them about who Jesus was and the salvation that he provides through his saving grace and then these new teachers come in, these new preachers, and they say, yeah, 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 it's saving grace through Jesus, but we all still have to follow the Mosaic law, and that's how we will be redeemed. Because that's what they were familiar with. So in all these different cases, what we have happening is people twisting who God is to match their perceptions of God. 
Or if you want a more modern example, look at the Jefferson Bible of Thomas Jefferson, who took the Bible and found things in it that he didn't like, things that he didn't want to accept, and so he took a razor and cut those pieces out of the Bible so that all that was left was the things that he liked. Now, we can look at something like that and say that was a terrible thing that he did because he did it physically to a Bible. But do we ever do that in our own heart? Where we say, I don't want to think about this passage of scripture. I'm, I'm going to kind of glance over it. I'm not going to think about that part because I don't like that part of the Bible. I don't like what it says. I, I, I just don't want to, I'm, I'm just going to pretend that it's not there. Do we ever do that in our own heart simply because we don't like something in the Bible? We don't want to address it. And when we do things like that, what we're doing is we're twisting our perception of who God is. And rather than serving God himself, rather than following God, we're just trying to imitate our own twisted view of who God is. And I don't want us to just be making new imitations of God in our life. We shouldn't just be imitators of God. Yes, we should imitate the character of Christ. That's part of being a believer. But are we actually following God as well? Because it's not enough to just imitate God. That's not what we're called to do. Well, it's part of what we're called to do, but that's not all we're called to do. We're called to follow him, to listen to him, to have a relationship with him where he guides us through life. Are we followers of God or are we just imitators of God, replacing who God is with our own personal copy? Very much like what the magicians did in Egypt copying who God is and what he does, while still denying who he is. And then the last common thread that I want to look at actually doesn't start in the first two signs and wonders. It starts with that plague of frogs, um, which was the last that the magicians was able to mimic. But at the end of that, what begins to happen is that when Moses and Aaron go and tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Up to that point, Pharaoh had completely just said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't recognize this God. I don't recognize you. I will not let them go. But once it gets to the plague of the frogs, at the end of it, Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let you go. Just please go pray to God that he takes this plague away, and then I'll let you go. And so Moses goes and prays to God, and God removes the plague. And as soon as God does, Pharaoh changes his mind back, right back to where it was and refuses to let the Israelites go. So God brings this plague. Well, before that, he warns that the plague is going to come. 
If he doesn't let the Israelites go, Pharaoh says, nope, not going to do it. God brings the plague. And then Pharaoh says, all right, I'm sorry, I've sinned. Please take the plague away. And as soon as the plague is gone, right back to, nope, not going to do it. Which is a terrible thing to watch over and over again. Because you see Pharaoh recognize the power that God has. And God's authority, he sees it, he recognizes it. But only in the times when he's troubled, only when times when there's difficult circumstances, and as soon as everything goes back to being easy again, he completely rejects God once more. And every time what is taking place there is that that tiny bit of faith that builds up in Pharaoh is instantly squashed by the return of comfort and complacency. And comfort and complacency can quickly kill our faith. It's easy to say, I need God and recognize your need for God when your whole life is falling apart. But we have to be so careful that when everything is great, everything's going smoothly, that we don't forget how much we still need God. And time after time in Scripture, you can see how people who had such a strong faith in God, that that faith is quickly overruled and cast out when they come to places of comfort and complacency. Think about David in Scripture. David who slayed Goliath. I did a whole series sermon on that a little while ago. Wonderful man of God who did powerful works of God through his life. With a heart after God's own heart and, and such noble character in all he does. And yet even David, when he becomes a king finds himself in a place of comfort and complacency as all of the other kings are going out with their armies for war and David sends out his armies without him. And he stays back in his kingdom where he's nice and comfortable. And it's there that he sees Bathsheba and gets into a whole lot of trouble. And that faith and belief and trust that he had in God is quickly set aside as he gives in to his sinful nature. Or think about the Israelites that we're talking about here with Moses. What happens after they finally leave Egypt? And they cross the Red Sea and the waters split and it's an incredible thing that happens. And yet shortly after, because Moses has been gone on a mountain too long, they quickly build a, co a golden calf and begin to worship that instead. Because they've made it out of Egypt. It's good, they're safe now. They don't have to work every day. And they quickly forget who brought them to that place. Or even Peter, one of Jesus' greatest disciples, who saw firsthand everything that Jesus did, all that he taught, and the sacrifice that Jesus made. 
And he goes out and preaches of that salvation that becomes available through Christ's sacrifice. And yet he even finds himself in a place where he's refusing to sit with Gentiles during mealtimes because he's a lot more comfortable sitting with Jewish people at mealtimes. And he doesn't want anybody to think less of him if he goes and sits with Gentiles. Quickly going back to what's comfortable for him. Absolutely nullifying everything that he says he believes in. Everything that he's been preaching to the people at that point. Time and time again. Comfort and complacency kills our faith. Year after year, I would go to youth camp, and it was always a bittersweet thing because at youth camp, I would see countless teenagers just absolutely giving their life to Christ and worshiping Him like never before fully dedicating their lives to him. I remember one student that read through the whole Bible in that one week that we were at youth camp because they were so on fire for God and they wanted to read more and more. And yet every time I would watch those same people after we come back from youth camp slip right back into their old lifestyles and there'd be no indication left of the great works that they were letting God do in their hearts during that time at camp. And it broke my heart every year to watch people slip right back to their old lifestyle. But it would happen because they would go back to where they were comfortable, and that complacency would quickly slip in. And I never want to be like that in my own life and with my faith. And really, none of us should be like that. We should all pursue God as passionately in times of comfort as we do in times of crisis. It shouldn't matter whether things are great or terrible. God is still God no matter what's going on. And we should treat him as such. So as I'm looking through all of these common threads that's taking place as the plagues are happening in Egypt and seeing how it ties into everything else in Scripture, the thing that really stands out to me through it is the need to have a deep personal relationship with God. Because that relationship we have with God helps us to be able to follow him rather than just imitate things about him. And that as we have that deep relationship, we're able to hear God and not only hear the warnings that he gives us, but be able to heed those warnings as well, even in times of comfort. It all comes down to, do you have a relationship with God? Or are you simply going through the motions? Are you following him? Do you follow him when things are comfortable or just when you need help from him?
Are you just imitating his character? Or are you letting him guide your life? And are you close enough to him that if he needed to warn you about something, that you would be able to hear it and that you would listen to it? How is your relationship with God? Because ultimately, that's what everything boils down to. Is do you have a relationship with him? Is he your Lord and Savior? This has been another Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, I encourage you to share this with other people to help get that message out there. But until next time, thank you for taking the time to listen. And I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you.